This is going to be strange. Some of you already know that I'm very good friends with Donald and Melania Trump. Very close. We don't agree on most things, but we are dear, dear, dear friends. We correspond all the time. Donald Trump sent me a letter, but it is a letter dated December 22nd, 2024. This has happened to me before where I've received letters from the future. I, I don't know. I said, Donald, can I read this? He said, go ahead. And, and he said he remembers writing it because he timed. I don't understand what's going on, these wormholes. But all I can tell you is Donald sent me a copy of a letter that he wrote from a Birmingham jail dated December 22nd, 2024. I'm going to read it as written. I I assume this is Donald Trump. It is from the future. That That's all I can tell you. I can't tell you how I received it. This is a letter from Donald Trump. It's a letter from a Birmingham jail dated December 22nd, 2024. This would be, what, a year and a half from now. He writes, this is Donald Trump. Merry Christmas. And for you people of color, happy holidays. That. Sounds like Trump, doesn't it? I hope 2025 brings you joy. 2024, right? 2025 would be right around the corner since it's December 22nd. This is weird. Uh, Okay, he writes, my fellow Americans, it is I, Donald Trump, writing to you from a Birmingham jail where I await sentencing after being unfairly convicted of some minor offenses like Treason, rape, money laundering, rape, tax evasion, sexual assault, election interference, more rape, bribery, rape, along with rape, rape and rape. Total witch hunt. He goes on to write, never before in the history of America's criminal justice system has someone been treated this poorly. I feel like Sacco and Vanzetti, if Sacco and Vanzetti were innocent, which they were not. Innocent people don't have accents. I don't, I don't know what that means. And yet, he goes on to write, everyone feels sorry for Sacco and Vanzetti. People call them martyrs, not Trump. I like martyrs who don't end up dead. Joan of Arc, loser, and a two at best. Well, that, that's not nice to say about Joan. He goes on to write, more like Joan of Bark. If you catch my drift, and if you don't catch my drift, I'm saying she's a dog because that's what dogs do. They bark. Joan of Bark. Yeah, this is definitely from Donald Trump. He goes on to write, jail, like Joan of Bark, is not pretty. The drinking water is brackish, the paint is peeling, and the air conditioning doesn't work. I can't believe my name isn't on the place. I've met, however, some interesting people. Yesterday, I joined a gang of white supremacists who call themselves the Republicans. 
Although I spend most of my time in solitary, I am never alone. Well, that's sweet. He goes on to write, the spirits of Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, are all those and all those other lightweights who don't deserve a national holiday are with me right now. That That's, I just, Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, and all those other lightweights who don't deserve a national holiday are with me right now. Uh, they're telling me they can't believe how great I'm holding up. Frankly, it's a little embarrassing. Gandhi just said my hunger strike is like nothing he's ever seen before. 30 minutes and only a party-sized bag of grandma's peanut butter cookies and a Capri Sun apple juice box. That's all I've had for the last 30 minutes of my hunger strike. Gandhi can't believe my willpower. And the spirit of Dr. King is also with me. Dr. Lester King, who kept me out of Vietnam by inventing a condition known as bone spurs. I didn't know that. And then, of course, Nelson Mandela is with me, which is somewhat surprising because he and I didn't always see eye to eye on things like apartheid. But there he is, Nelson Mandela. I didn't know you could wear those stupid loud shirts in the afterlife. That is not right. Uh, he goes on to write, apparently you can. I was hoping heaven had a dress code, but just like the last days of studio, they seem to be attracting that bridge and tunnel crowd. Okay. Uh, Trump goes on to write, if I can impart any wisdom about the joint, I guess that would be the Birmingham jail. If I can impart any wisdom about the joint, it is don't become anyone's bitch. I've heard this. Uh, he said, that's goes on to write. That's why my first day in the yard, I looked for the toughest looking guy. And in front of everyone, I said, what are you looking at? And then I proceeded to beat the living crap out of him just to show everyone I'm not to be trifled with. I'd be lying if I said it didn't hurt because naturally the toughest guy in the yard was me, Donald Trump. It's not easy kicking your own ass. Wow. So he looked for the toughest guy in the yard and he had to beat himself up. Wow. I must leave you now. It is already mid-December, December 22nd, 2024. I must leave you now. It's already mid-December and my inauguration is almost a month away and I still haven't picked an attorney general. I'm thinking of nominating this Alex Murdoch guy I just met. He's a lawyer who tells me he specializes in violent crime. That is Donald Trump's letter from a Birmingham jail dated December 22nd, 2024. Make of this what you want. This is a letter from the future. It's creepy. It's creepy. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Reverend Barry W. Lynn has a new book. It's entitled Paid to Piss People Off. Go buy this book. It has the Feldman guarantee. Blue Cedar Press is where you buy it. Go to bluecedarpress.com. 
Paid to Piss People Off, written by the Reverend Barry W. Lynn, who joins us today to talk about the First Amendment. Now, we're going to come in during the middle of the conversation because we had a minor technical problem. So the first seven minutes were garbled and indecipherable. I opened the segment by asking the Reverend Barry W. Lynn about the Establishment Clause contained within the First Amendment. What is the Establishment Clause? We always think of the First Amendment as guaranteeing freedom of speech. But what is the Establishment Clause? And the Reverend explains, well, the clause is there will be no state religion. The First Amendment forbids a state religion. So when Republicans call this a Christian nation, they are in direct violation of the First Amendment. We pick it up. We pick it up where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is explaining the Establishment Clause. Respecting is a verb. I went to grammar school. I learned that means touching upon religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 17 words. But lately, the only concern seems to be with the latter part about the free exercise of religion. But it used to mean, and I think it was clear from the history of the First Amendment, that it was intended to be a very broad, very sweeping prohibition. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, of course, was part of the reason for the creation of the so-called Establishment Clause. James Madison probably paid it played an even greater role. And if you look at the historical record, there was a version of the First Amendment that said, Congress shall not establish a national religion. That was considered too weak, and thus this much broader language about respecting an establishment of religion. Right. And, and then people go, well, but wait a minute, it's, uh, it doesn't say the states can't do that, but of course, didn't say that, but it does mean that after the passage of the 14th Amendment, which its Republican sponsors specifically said during the debate on the 14th Amendment that its application, it was an application of the Bill of Rights to the states. Now, it took a little time for the Supreme Court to understand that and to eventually get uh, get into the uh, correct point of view. But even then, um, people simply don't understand it. I, you know, I learned early in my uh, career of defending the First Amendment in every way possible, that uh, if you say the First Amendment, it is a meaningless statement for many people. You say, it violates the First Amendment. You can't, that is meaningless. You cannot get on the CBS News in a meaningful way by using that phrase. You have to explain it. And if you can quote what I just quoted, so much the better. Right. But the uh, it is a principle of enormous importance. It's been eroded and eroded and eroded over the last five or right. six years. So I don't want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was on 60 no. Minutes on Sunday. It was a disgrace, not because not because she was on 60 Minutes, because Leslie Stahl did such a yeah. candy ass job letting her say things unchallenged. One of the things 
Leslie Stahl said, you say America is a white Christian nation. That was the tough question. Uh, And and then Marjorie Taylor Greene says, yes, our our founding fathers were Christians and they were guided by the hand of God. And Leslie Stahl did not challenge her on that. If you were sitting here with Marjorie Taylor Greene and you could, you know, contain your hands and not put them around your own neck for being in the same room with her. What would you say to somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who says this is a Christian nation because our founding fathers were Christians and the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was written? Jesus was in the room with them. Yeah. What you have to deal with these folks. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who I'm sure applauded Marjorie Taylor Greene's interview, you have to talk about the facts, the historical facts, the fact that there was a version of the First Amendment that said Congress shall not establish a national religion. You can talk about Madison and Jefferson. Madison, who is, uh, I think, doesn't get the credit he deserves. He voted to have a chaplain in the United States Congress. And so the right wing always points to that. They don't tell you that he wrote after he left Congress and the presidency, he wrote what are now collected as the detached memoranda. And in it, he said the biggest mistake he made in public office was supporting a tax payer-funded chaplaincy. Specifically, he said it would have been far better if we had paid for the chaplains out of our own pocket because it would serve as a good lesson to all people. You can bring those up. You cannot convince these people that being a white Christian at the time, and many of these people were Christians of a they, the right wing doesn't like to say this. They were deists. They were people who believed that there was a God, that God, like a, a kind of watchmaker, made the watch, put it down, and then left it alone. The idea that Jesus was in the room during the drafting is literally heretical for Christians. For, for Heretical for Christians because why? Because there is nothing to suggest in any scriptural text that Jesus was interested in merging church and state. And although I kind of hated to, to give sermons about the separation of church and state, it's, um, it's true that he said two things very specifically. He criticized the leaders of the time for praying in public. He said, what you should do is not Pray in public so that you can be seen by others, but go into a closet, go into a room, pray to God, and God will answer your prayer. And then the second one confronted well, I, I again. I did notice with, that a lot of Republican Christians are in the closet, so they are listening they, to they, they certainly are. Yeah. And um, they, and then the other, of course, the famous uh, comment that you should render under Caesar those things that are Caesar's and unto God those things that are God. This, of course, was his uh, answer to address the claim that uh, people shouldn't pay 
taxes. So when right-wingers say, well, you know, uh, Jesus said you should help the poor, but he didn't say the government should do that. That's another, it sounds good, (laughs) but it's completely nonsensical, completely heretical. And it shows that people need to go back uh, to Sunday school uh, to study the Bible. And it speaks volumes to how bad our our mainstream media is where they don't challenge, you know, you and Fuglesang are, you know, Fuglesang is great at challenging yeah. this, this false uh, counterfeit dogma. You are a member of the Supreme Court bar. I want to ask you about the ab- abortion pill and Clarence Thomas. And if we have time, we'll talk about the arraignment of Donald Trump I don't know how much new information, how much light you can shed on that. We're talking with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. His new book is a trilogy entitled Paid to Piss People Off. Buy it right now. Is it Blue Cedar Press? Blue Cedar Press. I can give you a bitly number. Or put it in the chat room and we're going to plug that away and I'll put it in the description of the show. It's three books. Uh, First, uh, we did number two. that sounds dirty. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. por- well, it was dirty. We talked about yeah, book number two. Was it was porn. Funny. We talked about porn. We're going <laughs> to do an office hours where we talk about prayer yep. and peace. Correct. Uh, and you you have had a remarkable career. It's still in full bloom. You've taken on Jerry Falwell. You've taken on Oliver North, Pat Buchanan. You went into the lion's den and debated Buckley, Bill Buckley, and you went on crossfire. I mean, you have the scars, uh, or they have the scars. Yeah, I think they have the scars. Yeah, I would not want to argue with you. Uh, The Supreme Court, Clarence (laughs) Thomas. Yeah. What are the rules regarding gifts? I, I mean, it's outrageous that he accepted that that Donald Trump is been indicted possibly for accepting uh, a hush money payoff gift in kind. That's an illegal campaign contribution that kind of came from him, but didn't and did. Whereas Clarence Thomas is accepting $500,000 in gifts, travel gifts. I mean, they're not uh, substantial. You can't hold them. You can't hold a plane trip, but it's right. still worth five hundred thousand dollars. What what are the laws? Because you, see, apparently you don't believe that Clarence Thomas. He didn't know any of this. He he. he this guy is a Supreme Court justice, <laughs> right? He, he knows everything. He knows it, about women's reproductive health. He knows about voting rights. He knows about the internet. He doesn't know anything. That's hysterical. About a common sense principle that you don't take money from people who might come before the court. You know, at Americans right. United, we once and only once because it, you know we kind of did it as a publicity stunt. Insisted that he recuse himself from a case because he had some connection to the following. He was taking summer trips on behalf of a right-wing law firm that was also arguing before the court in that term. Now, you know, you should, 
you should not have to be. I always thought if a if a any kind of a profession needed to have a code of ethics, that's a strike against it to begin with. Right. Because people ought to understand that there are obvious legal limits, prohibitions that ought to be in place for anybody for any reason. And Clarence Thomas to say that, and then he also said that he, uh, he'd been a, a close personal friend. Well, uh, he, for 25 years, he has been on the court 19 of those years. I just wonder what's the evidence that he was such a fast friend of this guy in the years before he became the Supreme Court's most right wing, least technically efficient and least moral person. Well, what are we looking at here? Because AOC says she's going to introduce articles of impeachment. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Yeah. Uh, you may not know the answer to this. I apologize. That's okay. The Senate can remove, can holds the trial. Correct. Can the, the, I, I, you may not know this. Can you, can the Senate, which is controlled by the Democrats, go ahead and have an impeachment trial without it starting in the House of Representatives? That's an unfair question to ask you. No, but I, I, I it's not unfair, and I've thought about this, and um, I don't think they can do that. I really don't. It I has to start to in have, the House. It has to start in the House. But according to the Constitution, bills to expend revenues must also begin in the House, and that occasionally doesn't happen because right. the Senate wants to go first. So it's a colorable claim, I think lawyers would say. But I think, honestly, it's got to start in the House. So there's so AOC is a congresswoman. There's no way Clarence Thomas is going to be in. What was it? Chase with the last Supreme Court justice to be. I, I, I know they wanted to yeah. impeach Warren Burger, not Warren Burger, right. Earl Warren. Earl Warren. Um, yeah, so I think AOC is wrong about this. I mean, it's the other problem, of course, is even if it went to the Senate, even if you could do a kind of trial, it still would need 60 votes. Right. And it won't get more than, you know, 49 because there's not one thinking Republican left. And we've got two, you know, barely thinking Democrats. So it's the arrogance of the court where they are so they're in such a bubble. They truly believe they're above the law. And it's almost if what Nixon said, if the president does it, it's legal. Yeah. Does the same apply to the Supreme Court? If we do it, it's legal. I mean, or. Well, yeah, they would never say that. But of course, they seem to consistently lie about everything else. So it wouldn't surprise me if they said it. Here's the thing about it. The the Supreme Court and other courts, it's bad enough what they do when they're sitting as Supreme Court justices in the background and that they bring and the baggage they bring to the Supreme Court itself. But they also the whole judiciary, as I've been saying for a while, is corrupted by the actions of Donald Trump. Right. The the you mentioned the abortion pill. There's now, uh, it's temporarily on hold, but a, 
a judge in Texas ruled that the Food and Drug Administration had acted precipitously, leading people into dangerous use of this drug, which is now responsible for a little over half of the abortions in America. It is on there are technical reasons how some decisions by federal district judges do have applications for the entire country. And this is one of those examples. But the, this judge worked for, worked for on abortion issues. He was against them mm-hmm. for one of the right wing groups that uh, Americans United litigated against on a regular basis. And where I appeared, uh, you know, in debates and on television and at colleges with this particular guy. I don't remember uh, debating, but he, you know, the, these people are so far to the right. I mean, to say that they're going to somehow, you know, fall off a cliff, they've already fallen off the cliff. Now the question is what kind of a mess are they going to make at the bottom? It is absolutely reprehensible that any human being calling herself or himself an American would not recuse himself from an issue, a direct issue that he worked on for a right-wing law firm. I didn't even like to go. I was a lot of lawyers. They love going to these judicial conferences, the hobnob with all the judges. I hated doing that. I never did it. I don't even think, although there's nothing illegal about this, but I don't think that judges ought to make statements to anybody. They shouldn't give speeches to the ACLU. They shouldn't give speeches to some right-wing law firm. Well, let me ask you this, because we, we only have six more minutes, no. and okay. we're talking with the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, we're talking with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Go buy his new trilogy, Paid to Piss People Off, published by Blue Cedar Press, but you can buy it on Barnes & Noble and I, I won't mention the other place. No, don't mention And I want to get to peeps. And we have our virtual studio audience in full bloom tonight. And they have some questions for you that I'd like to get to. Sure. Uh, but you, you say that judges should not participate in some of these events. During the arraignment, uh, Donald Trump said, I've got an anti-Trump judge. Right. And I read today that the judge who arraigned him on Tuesday yep. gave fifteen dollars to yeah. Joe Biden's campaign. Yeah. He gave five dollars to a progressive organization. Yep. And at first I I said, come on, fifteen dollars to Joe Biden. What was that? But should a judge be donating money? Should we, is that Good that we know his political leanings, although they may not, they're not certain that no. th- th- that this was he. Right. But if, assuming it is he, uh, should a judge uh, be donating to candidates? D- d- is in, in, Does that help him and, you know, show his transparency? Does that help the process to know his prejudices or should he pretend he he's not political? No, I don't. I personally don't think that judges or people who are on the track to becoming a federal judge ought to be giving campaign contributions. I don't know how you find the $15 contributions. 
normally you don't for public records purposes, you have to give two hundred and fifty dollars. It's two hundred dollars actually to uh, to meet the oh. criteria for. Being, okay, yeah. so there's some questions for you in the Q and A, and uh, and then uh, we'll let you go, and hopefully All you'll right. come back next week. I like doing this on Friday nights; it, it helps. Uh, we're talking with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. His new book is. Paid to Piss People Off, published by Blue Cedar Press. Go buy this book. Mine is coming in two days. Uh, first question is from John, and it is, did you ever appear on William F. Buckley's Firing Line show, Chris Matthews, and if so, what was your impression of them? Yeah, I uh, I, I do have a, um, a website, barrywlynn.com. On that, you can find four of the firing line specials that I did with Buckley. And if you read the very beginning of the book, you'll find an interesting anecdote about my long, long relationship with Buckley. Um, if he if he didn't have the accent that he had, I don't think he would have been taken as seriously. Right. I think he was kind of muddle headed. Uh, Chris Matthews, on the other hand, is um, I did everything, including doing his uh, uh, quickly. We forget his show on uh, Hardball. Hardball was it Hardball or Cross? Yeah, Hardball. No, it's Hardball. Right. And so uh, NBC said we want to make sure that there's a good test of this. So the Friday before he was going to start on Monday, they had me on and a woman named Andrea Shelton. Andrea Shelton was a hard right woman who uh, loved to uh, break the norms. She used to wear leopard skin mini coat, mini skirts. So Chris is starting a show and says, you know, I, I hope we keep it lively. And Andrea says, Oh, I think it'll be lively. You do know that Barry is my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen Matthews uh, unable to speak, but. These guys, we have, we have one more question. Okay, then I'll sure. let you go. Somebody in the chat room wrote, no politics tonight. I'm burnt out. Right. And I, I hear them. I mean, I, I get sure. overloaded. And, and then you, you see these monsters like. Yep. Chris, well, he's gone for being a monster towards women. Yeah. Uh, Joe Scarborough, uh, who's probably a monster to women, but he married the one that he was, you know, I, I have a feeling that was a Me Too that was avoided by marrying. Uh, I think he Me too Mika. But they live and breathe this stuff. Do they burn out? I mean, you, you dealt with Oliver North. You did radio shows with with Pat Buchanan. Do these people truly live and breathe this stuff 24 hours a day? Or do they take a break from it? Do they have readers who give them bullet points? Or are they just, to is this, is it mono, are they savants? Are they monomaniacs who just obsess on politics? Well, I do, I do think that Buchanan is a genuine true believer. If you'd sit there with him, as we were doing a show, commercials had come up and he'd say something like, uh, you know, when I was with Mr. Nixon in Thailand, he would he had a photographic memory of all of the interconnections that he that he had. Uh, and North, too, um, he had this 
profound agreement on a, one or two things like the abolition of the death penalty. Right. And uh, he even flirted with the idea of nationalizing the airlines after 9-11. So there's progress. Uh, there, there. There's my, but, yeah. Last so, question. But, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I just want to mention Peeps. Okay. It's not politics. Okay. It's last peeps. question, though. Do you, yeah. do you, uh, this is from Brian. Uh, very quickly, uh, what do you think about attorneys advertising on television? I think it's a great idea. I think they're, they are permitted to do that. There was a Supreme Court case that permits it. Um, I think advertising lawful products and services is a protected First Amendment construct. And I think, you know, if you, if you call a lawyer who's advertising on a billboard, you probably can figure out in 15 minutes whether this man or woman is really going to be able to help you. Okay. We have another question about the Fellowship Foundation, Tim Kreuter, and Uganda's anti-homosexuality bill. I think we should hold that off for next sure. week. That's uh, fine. Yeah. Yep. And, and the role that uh, Americans in particular are playing in the persecution of the LGBTQ community uh, in Africa. So thank you, Gregory, Absolutely. for that question. We'll get to that and we have a quote from John Adams, but uh, uh, I'll read that at the end. Uh, peeps. Uh, peeps. I love the peeps. peeps. Are, yeah, I love those peeps, but I also love peeps. Peeps, it's a confectionery a product that is uh, made by the Just Born Candy Company. Now, didn't your father work in a candy My, store? She di he did during the Depression, although he was trained as a chemical engineer, uh, he couldn't get a job. And so he did two things. He worked sweeping the floors of the Just Born Candy Company. And he also- uh, It was called the Just piano. Born, well, hang on, the Just Born Candy Company? Just Born As Candy in Company. Bo like candy that's just been born. Yeah. There are some interesting- That uh, seems articles. like there People should be- terribly interested in the the New York Times Magazine uh, for kids has a tour of the Peeps factory. So my dad did that. If you buy the book, you can find out what he was told the very first day that made him never touch a certain candy again. And then he played piano behind silent movies. And when he got a severe... Uh, Parkinson's and lost most of his ability. He could remember. How do you play the Ben-Hur chariot march? Wow. How do you play the music behind? Uh, wow. Yeah. Last thing he lost. It was a better time. The Reverend Barry, it was. Yeah. Uh, the silent movie. If, if people ask me, when would you have liked to work in, in Hollywood? And it was, it would be the silent movie era. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That must have been something. And, and it pisses me off. David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, did a pilot after The Sopranos that took place during the silent movie era. And it didn't it didn't get sold. And I thought that would have been his bet. You know. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, go, I command the 11th commandment. Thou shalt buy the Reverend Barry W. Lynn's new book paid to piss people off. Go buy it. Blue Cedar Press. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you. Stay out of trouble.
Only good trouble. Bye-bye. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.